Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're talking about Kyrie Irving going to the Mavericks. So we're going to do a trade analysis, break down the trade for both teams, and then I'll give you uh, who I think the winner, who the loser was of this trade. But let's get into it. So Kyrie, if you haven't been paying attention to the NBA in like the last week, Kyrie comes out and is like, hey, uh, you got to trade me by the deadline. You got like a week to do it. And I'm not going to resign because he's an impending free agent coming up this summer. And he's like, I'm not going to resign if you don't trade me. So all of a sudden, <laughs> that was pretty crazy. So the Nets start calling around all the teams, seeing what they can get back. They decide to send him to the Mavericks. And in return, so it's Kyrie going to the Mavericks. And then in return, Brooklyn is going to get Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, a first-round pick, and also two second-round picks. And the first-round pick's unprotected. I don't think you really need to worry about that. Uh, uh, actually, so it's a 2029 first-round pick. So it's a pick that's pretty far in the future. So I guess that unprotected does matter. But again, recapping, it's Kyrie to the Mavs. And in return, they get Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, unprotected first-round pick, and two future second-round picks. So let's first, let's talk about Kyrie, obviously, because if you clicked on this podcast, you probably would want to hear about that. And I actually had a really good thread that I tweeted out when he uh, announced that he wanted to be traded. I was like, well, not often does like a, a star player request to be traded kind of randomly in the middle of the season. So I went through all of his data and basically the bullet points are he's been a very good player for a very long time. He is obviously an offensive slanted player and not much of a defender. I would say probably in, I don't know, a minus offensive player and a D defensive player. He has improved, I will say. So just to get the defense out of the way, he wasn't, it was interesting. He was an F defender overall for, I don't know, maybe the first third of his career, maybe the first half of his career. Now he's a D defender. And like that, it does sound funny, but it does matter. Going from an F to a D is helpful. But what was interesting, I was uh, looking, we have our on-ball isolation defense. And then we also have how you handle if you're defending pick and roll and you're defending the ball handler. It's called uh, ball screen navigation on our site. And early on in his career on Cleveland, he was really actually good on ball, specifically in isolation, like really, really good. And as his career has gone on, he is now not really the same on ball or in ball screens, just overall not not very good on the perimeter. However, his D LeBron has gone up. So early in his career, not a great defender, but good on ball and then now he's he's older quite a bit older and he is not very good on the perimeter and a like I said like a D defensive player one thing he does do is uh, he does generate on ball steals and then he also does get in the passing lanes get some deflections and steals which is good which makes sense because his hands are just so amazing that, that makes sense that that would carry over to defense but let's get to the offense because that's obviously what he brings to the table he's having a really good year this year I know his O LeBron is pretty strong and he is a devastating player in isolation. He is the number one player in isolation this year in points per possession. And points per possession is basically your shooting percentage with turnovers taken into account. So that's pretty darn good. I know when you watch him play, that's something obviously you pick up on really quickly. He also, he is a good playmaker, but he's not a great playmaker. And I dug into the data and this year, He's setting a career high in passing creation quality. Basically, the looks he's generating for his teammates when he passes them the ball is the best they've ever been. 
but the volume is on the lower end and he's just never really been a super high volume passer. Uh, we can look at things like potential assists, which is, you know, when you pass it, it doesn't really matter if they make or miss it. That's a pretty good way to track uh, volume of passing for a player. And it's just never been elite, never been super high. And it's actually been trending a little bit lower in recent years. So he is a scorer. One of the things that is really interesting is he's a very good three-point shooter, both on and off ball. He's one of the better pull-up shooters in the game, but also... This is interesting because with stars, this is a conversation we have a lot with Harden, with Luca. We've talked about it with LeBron. There is an unwillingness a lot of the time to take catch and shoot threes or an uncomfortableness. A lot of times they'll catch it, just reset, wait for the defender. But Kyrie is actually someone that does shoot, which is going to be important on the Mavericks, obviously pairing him with Luca, And I, I've been kind of rolling this around in my brain of what that's going to look like. So I think the first thing is, now they have a secondary star because the problem with Dallas prior to this, where it was Luca and a bunch of like solid NBA players, like Spencer Dinwiddie's pretty good. We'll talk about him in a moment. Like he's a good player, but he's not a great player. And pairing him with Kyrie, there is some overlap in skill where they are ball dominant players. But I just talked about it. Kyrie, he can catch and shoot pretty good. I think he's at 37% this year. And that's useful. I think number one, right off the bat, you now have 48 minutes of playmaking where I know in the playoffs, that's not as valuable, but that is really valuable in the regular season. And then still in the playoffs, like Luca's probably going to play close to 40 minutes. So, you know, maybe there's 10 minutes where he's not on the court. You're obviously going to stagger that, have Kyrie, and you're just all the time going to have someone that can create shots. That's really, really important. I think also uh, another positive is we've seen Kyrie be the second fiddle to LeBron, and we've also seen him be the second fiddle to KD. So, like, that's a role. Now, like, we talk about roles and positions a lot on this podcast and a lot of basketball index because it is important. And this is a little bit different. This isn't like, you know, are you a primary ball handler or you are, are you off ball or are you a stretch big? Like, this is more a role in, like, a – a sense of how you think about fitting on the team. And I think Kyrie is used to being that secondary player. So I think that probably helps if you're worried about the fit. And I, and I think there is, you know, there's plenty to worry about Kyrie. We don't really talk a lot about off the court stuff on this podcast. We're an analytics company, but Kyrie's, you know, someone that's had enough off the court issues where it's like, and it's weird. Like <laughs> Kyrie hasn't like done anything like, crazy like he hasn't uh he hasn't broken any laws but like he's just he's not a headache he's a migraine that's the that's the best way i can describe Kyrie off the court he's not a headache he's a migraine so that definitely i mean if you're wondering why he's being moved like why he isn't getting a larger return why there aren't more first round picks than this like that is the reason why so we'll stop talking about that because that's not really what this podcast is about but I talked about this with Krishna, I think, on the podcast prior to this and the one before that, like what Kyrie's trade value was. And I went through, I ranked the top 75 players in the league, and then I went really fast down the list and just sort of assessed a value to them uh, for first-round picks. And then I know like there's going to be salary matching, there's going to be some players thrown in. But when I got to Kyrie, it was difficult because he's not young anymore. He's in his 30s, and he has a history of injuries. He hasn't really I can't remember the last time he's played a full season. He's a migraine off the court. That's never a positive. And he's not a super high volume passer. So pairing him 
with certain other players can you, you kind of you do have to find a fit and Luca is a very high volume passer so I'm not really worried about there not being enough playmaking on the Mavericks now but you know there's just a, a, a bevy of concerns you have to have with Kyrie I'm interested in this gamble from the Mavericks because it is a gamble this is the last year of his contract he's going to be a free agent you know with Kyrie you never know what's going to happen but this is a very interesting gamble because, I mean, we've talked about it at nauseum, I would say, just generally as as part of the media, where the Mavericks don't have anyone else. So they made a risky play. They went out. They acquired Kyrie, right? And I'm interested to see how it works. It definitely makes them a better team. So there's that. Just on paper, they are a better team. You now have a secondary star. I talk about this all the time. Like, who's your first best player? Who's your second? Who's your third? And before it was... Best was Luca. Your second best was Spencer Dinwiddie, and your third best was it was a mix between Christian Wood or Dorian Finney-Smith. I'm not sure, depending on the day, who you ask. But that's not good enough to win a championship. And now you have Luca at one, where you're like, all right, that absolutely works at one. Now you have Kyrie at two. It's like, okay, we've seen that work at two, and I also on paper that does work. And then after that, you now you have Christian Wood, where it's like, okay, this is a more dangerous team. Absolutely, they are more dangerous today than they were yesterday. So it's going to be one of those things. It's a gamble and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out for Dallas. Uh, Let's move to the other side of the trade because what the Nets got back in return, I thought was pretty interesting. So Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, an unprotected 2029 first round pick and two future second round picks. So just really, really quickly, I would say Spencer Dinwiddie's having a pretty good year He is, in my estimation, probably a top 100 player. I would say he's, you know, somewhere between 100 and 75. He's a pretty good ball handler. He can score some. He can play make. So what's interesting with him is he actually was on Brooklyn a few years ago and, you know, progressively got better, had a really fantastic year. People were really excited about him. And then he tore his ACL, missed an entire year, then signed a deal with Washington. And then he came over in the Porzingis trade. So he has had a lot of uh, turmoil in his career due to just like difficulty from injury the last few years. But he's come back and he's playing. He was playing at a pretty productive level this year. He was having a career high from three and just like a secondary creator and scorer on the Mavericks. He's a good player. And I think he fills the role of what Kyrie was doing, but just at a lesser level on the Nets. Now they also get back Dorian Finney-Smith and Dorian Finney-Smith is a really interesting player because he is a three and D wing that has developed a three point shot throughout his career and is now, I would say he's having a down year this year from three, but he is one of the better three and D wings in the league. Like I went back, not looking at this year, but looking at the two previous seasons, I was looking at players with above average D LeBron above average three point shot making, which is what we use to kind of look at how a player is performing relative to their shot quality from three. So above average on defense, above average performance on threes, who else was there for wings in the who who basically who made the list in the two years I was grabbing? And again, the two years are the 2021 and 2022 seasons. So on the list to make it both times, Dorian Fenny Smith, pretty good. Royce O'Neal, pretty good player. Pat Connington, solid player on the Bucks. Nicholas Batum, quality guy, and Mikhail Bridges. 
And that's it. That's the whole list. There just aren't a lot of 3 and D wings that are actually doing it at an above average level. We label a lot of players 3 and D, but just in reality, it's hard to get guys consistently that can do it year after year. And then it's just it's just hard to find guys in general with that skill set because you got to go find a six seven guy who excels on defense and is a good three point shooter. So it's it's difficult to find. And this was counting not star players. I I sorted out you had to have below average offensive load because like if you're Drew Holiday right like you're not you're not really I mean you technically are a three and D player but you're like an all star so you you no no longer need that first qualifier. Um, but Dorian Finney-Smith signed to a really, really reasonable contract. That's another thing that makes him valuable. So for contracts, Kyrie Irving going to be a free agent. You get one more year of Spencer Dinwiddie next year at like $20 million. It's a, it's fine. He's, he's providing pretty good value. And then for Dorian Finney-Smith, you get th- you get this year, and then you get three years after that at about $14 million a year. And for one of the better 3 and D wings, that's a really quality contract. So again, I think Spencer Dinwiddie, top 100 player. I also think Dorian Finney-Smith is another top 100 player. And then you get the first round picks and the two seconds where I talked about this with Krishna. I thought Kyrie was worth two firsts. And then you you fill it out with salaries and you hope to get a little something back in those players. And they got the first round pick. And then instead of an additional first round pick, they got two pretty good NBA players who are not super old, and then you also are going to control them both next year, and then you have DFS on like a a quality contract. So I thought this was a pretty good move by the Nets. Obviously, the team gets worse. They were really, really hot the last month plus, which makes the Kyrie trade even like a little bit more confusing, but hey, it's Kyrie. Um, But I, I, I like what the Nets got back. Now, they could make another move, maybe try to, I'm not sure. They traded for Royce O'Neal in the offseason, which, again, we just mentioned, solid 3 and D quality wing. And now you have some overlap with Dorian Finney-Smith. And it's weird. The the Nets have become what the Raptors were trying to be, uh, where they have a bunch of wings, and they can roll out a really interesting defensive lineup. They can have... Nick Claxton, who we had as our first half of the year defensive player of the year. Katie, who's obviously an offensive star, but the height gives you pretty solid defensive impact. You have Dorian Finney-Smith, good 3 and D wing. You have Royce O'Neal, good 3 and D wing. And then they also have Ben Simmons, who's playing at like an all-defensive team level. So now the Nets run into this problem where they have what the Raptors wanted, this crazy switchable, you know, everybody's like seeming like 6'6 to 6'11 for the most part. And then they have a ton of shooting on their bench. But it does seem like the Nets might need a little bit more ball handling now. Like Spencer didn't when he can do that. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, no, that's that's not what he does. He stands in the corner and shoots threes. Um, But the Nets have KD and Dinwiddie to handle the ball. I guess like maybe just up Seth Curry's usage a little bit and see how that goes. But the Nets now are probably, I mean, I know a lot of other people were high on them. I didn't really have them as contenders. Sure, dangerous in the playoffs, absolutely. Were they playing well? Totally. I wasn't sold on them yet, but now they're definitely, they took a step down without this trade being like catastrophically bad because 
something like this happens, sometimes you have to just unload a player and you really don't get a great return or you get picks that are really far off in the future. And, you know, this is really interesting. What's going to happen with KD? I know KD, you know, reportedly requested a trade in the offseason and, you know, teams were interested. He, the Suns, nothing really happened with it. He's under contract for a long time. I don't know if this starts like the the rebuild or they try to try to reformulate around KD. I'm not sure what they do. They honestly could go either way. I don't think they have to do one or the other, but I do think if they move KD, they would definitely want to get off that Ben Simmons contract. So I don't know if you have to do a three-way trade or two separate trades. I'm not really sure how you do that, but it is an interesting... I I, am at, I don't know who the I probably should have looked this up. I don't know who the Nets GM is. He's probably not going to sleep a lot <laughs> until the deadline finishes. He's probably going to be calling people nonstop, trying to figure out the direction of the franchise. I think honestly, the Nets aren't even sure because this has happened so quickly and really thrown a wrench. Like think about it, they had James Harden, Kyrie, and KD two full seasons ago, going into the 2021 season. Right, the Lakers had just won the championship. The Nets had assembled this super team and it was like, well, I wonder how many championships they're going to win because they're at least going to get one. I'm not sure how long they can all stay together. Turns out they didn't even play in a finals and just everything that could have possibly gone wrong did go wrong. And if you're the Nets ownership and GM, I'd, I, you know, I, I do think people have backup plans, especially in the NBA. I don't think they had a contingency plan for all of the dominoes that had fallen over in the last two years. So it will be interesting to see where they go. It's a gamble by the Mavericks. I completely understand. I'm not going to say I like it because I don't know if I'm ever going to like a team acquiring Kyrie Irving. I did call him a migraine <laughs> of a player, but the talent is undeniable. He is a unbelievable offensive player that provides like, I, I say this a lot, like, oh, this player provides some pop. Like pop doesn't even... What's I don't know what's bigger than pop crackle. I don't know what it would be, but it's something much bigger than pop. And Kyrie brings that. It's an all star, you know, potentially all NBA level player that's doing it all on the offensive end. And then if you're the Nets, you got some quality guys back. You got Dinwiddie, you got Dorian Finney Smith and a first round pick. Those two seconds, you know, not a ton of value, but it's an additional something to get. So that's going to uh, wrap up our analysis on Kyrie going to the Mavericks. My name is Taylor. If you want to, I don't know, let me know what you think about this trade. Hit me up on Twitter at Taylor Metrics, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Basketball Index podcast.